What's going on, y'all? Today, we shine a spotlight on Dr. Nana Kwabena-Kufour from Ghana, an assistant professor in economics at the University of Nottingham in Ningbo, China. And he talks about education here in China and compares it to the state of education in Africa and the West and what it's like raising a family while abroad. It starts now. doctor good afternoon mr Beasel. how are you doing today not badly at all thank you and you i'm good i'm good i can't complain uh enjoying the weather here in beijing we've been getting a lot of uh sunny days so uh i'm pretty pretty excited about that yeah that's right mm-hmm. yeah as i said i have to catch up with some flexible you know week schedule so spending a bit of the time in the office but not too long so yeah Looking forward to getting out there again. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. All right. Well, um, I know you're very busy right now, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, so let's uh, let's get right into it. Um, where are you from originally, and what brought you to China? I'm from Ghana. I'm a Ghanaian, but well, I lived in the UK for about ten years, working and studying, and I had my final studies in the University of Nottingham. Mm-hmm. And at the end of my doctorate, I came to China to work on the University of Nottingham campus here as a lecturer. So this is why I'm here. Okay, okay. Um, what made you decide to to come to China? Well, at the time I finished my PhD, which was about five years ago. Well, China was really trending, you know, in all aspects, like economically, in terms of social life. You know, most aspects of life, China was almost the talk of the time. So I decided to take advantage of our campus here to learn more about China, to experience China. And particularly, I'm an economist. So, of course, I'll be very interested in such an emerging economy. Okay. Okay. So um, how has it been uh, lecturing here in China as opposed to other places? Well, it's been fantastic, I have to say. Um, well, for me, it's not been much of a shock because coming from the UK, I was teaching. I was teaching in Nottingham University before the end of my PhD, but I was also a pro rata lecturer at Nottingham Trent University, which was also in Nottingham. Mm. And I have a lot of Chinese students, so I was quite used to, you know, working with Chinese students. So it wasn't much of a shock, and especially given that. I'm not teaching in a Chinese university, but it's just a campus of Nottingham University, and our service still remains the British, you know, way of university education. So it's not much of a shock. So it's been fantastic. Okay. Okay. Um, well, you say that you know you still subscribe to the uh, to the British way of teaching because it's still a um, a British Nottingham University, still a British school, but. Um, yeah. Have you noticed a a difference in in culture in the way Chinese students learn or, or teach and the way um, students learn and teach in the West? Yeah, there is much of a difference, as a matter of fact, and this is our selling point because we are come here with a service promise, and our service promise is to bring a, a very different you know type of 
tertiary education, which is a British type. Because um, but to be specific, um, in the Chinese system, you know, they are used to a very passive educational like education system. Mm-hmm. What I mean by a passive system is that they have a passive learning approach to learning, whereby students are used to, you know, being taught in the classroom, like they stay there, they are less active, but the lecturer teaches them and tells them things. And sometimes they, the students even find it difficult to ask questions. Because they feel they are not adequate enough in terms of knowledge to be able to question a lecturer. But on the other hand, in the British system, we have a more active and independent approach to learning, whereby, you know, students are, you know, encouraged to be interactive, to be more, you know, to play, you know, more roles, to be more participative, I have to say, in their learning experience. So basically, we, we try to inspire them to learn independently, as independently as possible, and we guide them, we help them to extend their knowledge and things like that. So it's quite different. Okay. Um, do you think that's part of a larger uh, cultural phenomenon? But like, That would be one of the main differences between um, Chinese culture and Western culture? Yes, I think it is, because um, from my experience here in the last five academic years that I've spent here, I have realized that, you know, it seems to be a part of the Chinese culture to always, you know, respect the view of authority. So in the classroom, they still see the lecturer as the authority and therefore whatever the lecturer says goes and students feel that it's disrespectful to question anything or to express their, their disagreements. But as a matter of fact, the system of education we have brought here from the UK sees it differently. It sees it like students trying to be creative, to be participative, and to be active in learning. Okay. But with time, we try to find ways and means to help students through that transition phase from one education system to the other. Okay. All right. Well, um, we've compared it to, you know, we've compared the Chinese style to the Western style, but um. What about the um, the African style of education? Are there more similarities between them and the Chinese style of education, or are there more differences? Um, as a matter of fact, the African style falls somewhere in between, in the sense that in Africa there is also a sense of you know like respecting authority, but it's less so compared to China, because in Africa, well, students try to be engaged, like to be active you know, but not to the extent of the UK. And what happens is that in Africa too, in terms of independence, there's less of independent learning. So that's more closer to the Chinese way in the sense that where the African one is not one of culture, but is one of, you know, like having the resources. If the resources are not available to students, then they don't have any choice but to depend on the lecturers. Mm. So basically they depend on what is provided to them in the lecture room or in the seminar or at workshops. So when you say resources, are you talking about um, book, textbooks and lab equipment? Yes, textbooks, computers, mm. you know, having access to online resources and things like that, yeah. Mm, okay, okay. Um, so you say you've been here for, for five years, so I'm sure you've seen quite a few um, African students coming to the uh, university to study because, you know, I've noticed that a lot more um, – more and more uh, African students come to China to to get their education. So, um, in your experience, how has it been 
for the African students to adjust to um, the style of teaching? Well, um, I think there is a plus for African students coming to China. Mm-hmm. The reason is, um, firstly, I would like to speak from the you know perspective of a British university in China, since this is where I work. Mm-hmm. And um, from that point of view, I'll say that it's a plus in the sense that the African way, like I said, is somewhat between the Chinese way and the you know Western style of university education. Mm-hmm. However, the African students tend to benefit because when they get into the system here, because we know that a majority of our students are Chinese who are going through a transition from the Chinese student Chinese system to the British system, mm-hmm. we try to find a way to acknowledge their challenges and we spend time trying to help them. We sort of nurture, you know, them to be able to be successful through the transition. So the African students benefit from this. Whereas if they had traveled to the UK or to other Western countries to study, they wouldn't probably have that much attention in terms of being assisted through the transition phase. On the other hand, if they had remained in Africa, like I said, there would be less resources. And that also poses a lot of you know, constraints to their learning experience. Mm. And because Chinese universities, not just the British University here in China, but even the Chinese universities have more you know, resources at the universities compared to the African universities. So they have more access to resources, but if they decide to enroll in a Western university in China, then the advantage is even more, as I said, because then they, they have their, our attention because we become more aware the majority of our students are coming from a different education system and we pay attention to their transition phase. Hey y'all, hope you're enjoying this episode of the No Name Podcast. If you're interested in more or content like this, then be sure to head to the Sahelian Outpost. The Outpost is a place where you can get an inside look into Asia's black community. Black content creators from the Americas, the Caribbean, and Africa talk about life and what to expect in the Far East. So check it out at www.sahelianoutpost.com. That's sahelianoutpost.com. Peace. Let's step out of the out of the classroom for a minute and um and let's uh, let's talk about you. Um, you say you've been here for five years, uh, correct? Yes, as, uh, as, a, here. Yeah. as a as a lecturer. Um, what are some things that you yourself uh, had to get used to um, as a lecturer here? Because uh, you said that you know you studied uh, you studied in the UK, and I would imagine there would have to be a bit of an adjustment getting used to the culture here. Um, yes. Um... As, as I explained at the start, there's been some adjustment, but as I explained, it's not been much of a shock because I worked with Chinese students in the UK before coming here. But of course, in the UK, they were not, they didn't, you know, make up the majority of the class like they do here. Mm-hmm. But at least I had a sense of what, you know, some challenges would be before coming. And the major challenges had to do with, you know, students who didn't have much English, but of course up to a level that would permit them to learn. But still, you know, there'll be challenges with the 
standard of English language, both speaking and writing, understand, I mean, comprehension and things like that. And what that meant was that sometimes we had to make a conscious effort to make it possible for them. For instance, I, I, we have students coming from the West, sometimes just as exchange students, but sometimes as full-time regular students. In the lecture room, in the typical you know, lecture, lecture room, as a lecturer, I bear in mind, you know, the challenges that Chinese students face in terms of communication and comprehension. So I make a conscious effort to draw, like to draw when I'm talking, to speak slowly and to stretch my pronunciations and things like that, just to help them follow adequately. Mm. But the problem is, you know, sometimes people from English origin would also find it a bit too slow. Oh, yeah. There needs to be that adjustment because if you don't go about it that way, majority of them would end up not being able to understand much from the class. And without much satisfaction, learning is affected negatively. So some of these are some adjustments we have to make because of, you know, our students and their background. Secondly, like I said, I have to put more effort not just into the content, that I'm teaching, but also the style of teaching because they need a lot of inspiration. They need a lot of motivation to be involved, to be interactive, to be participative because, you know, genuinely they've come from a system where this sort of signifies, like, you know, this sort of signifies, you know, disobedience or disrespect or things like that. And then you come in and you're trying to explain to them how they'll benefit from that and Mm. how that be watched from a different perspective, far from disrespect and far from, you know, disobedience and things like that. Mm. So there has to be some effort to try to build that enthusiasm into them, you know, that inspiration and that sense of active learning experience and very independent learning experience. Okay. Okay. Um, Did you come here by yourself or did you come with your family? I came with my family, with my wife and two children. Oh, okay, okay. Um, how has the adjustment been for them? Yeah, it was all right. Um, with the children, as a matter of fact, we were more worried about the children adjusting to a new environment because they were born in the UK and it was only the UK that they knew before we came here. So we were worried about their adjustment, not even more, not, not, not to do too much with the social aspect, but for instance, food and things like that because they were quite young and you know children are very you know choosy in terms of what they eat mm-hmm. so we were worried you know about them not accepting you know different types of foods and how we're going to manage that but in terms of the social aspect I have to say that they were quick to adjust they made new friends very quickly mm-hmm. and again in that aspect of life it wasn't too shocking because we are in a British university and majority of the staff here, you know, are foreigners. And so their children are foreigners, especially from Western countries. So they had, when we got here, you know, children had a background and way of life that was not very different from what my children were used to. Mm. And they started off, you know, in the international school, which also has foreigners, you know, largely, largely foreigners. So it was like the way of life wasn't much of a shock. It wasn't a big change for them. So that was okay. And what what, what the challenge was, was getting used to things that they would accept because we had to keep trying and trying and trying. It was very expensive initially because 
we have to buy you know foreign things and you know in china imported items are really expensive yes they are <laughs> yeah so we had to take it slowly to make sure they were very okay while you know adjusting to you know chinese food and all that but they did that very well and we all settled in well and as a matter of fact our initial plan was to be in china for just two years but as i just said it's been five years and counting Okay, so it will I guess, be five years in September. We are not quite five years. It will be oh, five okay. years in September, but this is our fifth academic year. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. so it sounds like they're enjoying themselves. Yeah, they're doing great. Okay, great. um, I've noticed that. Uh, and this is also something I wanted to ask you because um, I've noticed that you know many expats, uh, whether they're you know professionals or students, um, most of the time you know they're single. You know they don't have any um any strong commitments, you know, to people as far as, you know, having a family and things like that. So uh, it it feels like it's a bit easier for them to, you know, travel from region to region because they mostly only have to, um, you know, worry about how they will get there, you know, individually. But, um, you know, with you having a family, you know, you have other people to consider. So um, in your opinion, what are some other things that you have that you um that you take into account when you make these kinds of moves? Well, um, as a matter of fact, as a first starting point, um, you're right. If you're single, the decision is based on just yourself, and that makes it a lot easier. But that aside, when traveling as a family, you think about you know, how your wife and children would also settle in, or for the ladies, how your spouse and your children will settle in. And, as I, you know, like I said, some of the things we didn't expect, for instance, most importantly, the kids' education has been great for them so far. They're doing fine. They loved your school. They're studying well. So that's a very good start for us. And in terms of the social life, it's equally important, social life. But as I said, in this university, we live on campus. And in, on this campus, we have a lot of foreigners, and but we have a lot of friends, Chinese friends outside the campus. So we have a choice as to, you know, when to mingle with foreigners, you know, and when to mingle with Chinese. We have that choice to ourselves, when to spend time outside campus and when to remain on campus. So that gives us the flexibility and it's fine. So if we are outside campus, you know, socializing with our Chinese friends is because we wanted to be there. So it means we are doing great if we found us outside. Okay. So, yeah, basically the kids' education is important. The social life is important. And as I said before, the food, you know, and the health facility. The health facility has also been great in China and a lot cheaper than elsewhere, than even in Ghana. So it's been, it's been, it's been fine. Are you looking for high-quality extensions that pop, shimmer, and shine in the sun? Then head on over to Hair Bioconi. Hair Bioconi provides you with all of your hair extension and accessory needs at wholesale prices. Their products are tested for quality and available to ship throughout China and the U.S. So check her out on WeChat, Facebook, and Instagram at Hair Bioconi and get your wig right. Do you notice that you... 
you know, because like you say, it's been it's been five years here and it's in another country and uh, your children seem seem pretty young. So do you notice that do you try to um, how do I say this? Do you try to uh, make a point to um, teach your children your culture um, more often because the outside culture doesn't really like the outside community doesn't really teach that culture since they're in a, well, I guess I should say, um, since you're in a foreign country, do you try to teach, uh, your children more about your culture from home? Um, as a matter of fact, I see it depends on what you mean by culture. Personally, I see culture as a way of life. And if anything at all to teach them, I believe I just pick from, it's about my judgment of what way of life is adequate for them. So I don't stick to any one particular culture. In terms of from back home, from Ghana, the culture, you know, the culture that I like to preserve with my children has to do mainly with, you know, like some cultural heritage that points to history you know, heritage is that point to some arts like music, dance, you know, the festivals, you know, I like them to be aware of some of these and all that. But in terms of way of life, I don't particularly st stay with one particular culture. So it's not been challenging because aspects of the Ghanaian culture that I would like to keep because culture itself is very dynamic. You know, mm -hmm. with modernization, you find culture changing. So the aspects of the Ghanaian culture that I would want to maintain, in, in, I mean, in terms of my, you know, Ghanaian way of life, the aspects that I would like to maintain is my way of life as well. Actually, I, I, wherever I go, I lead that life. It's my way of life. So they learn very directly from me and from my wife. So we don't need to put in much effort. And if it is an aspect of life that we feel needs to be changed or needs to be modernized, then you wouldn't find us living that kind of life. So they wouldn't learn it from us to start with. Okay. But yes, we introduce them to some Ghanaian history, you know, through, you know, the understanding and knowledge of some popular festivals, some Ghanaian dance, some Ghanaian music, you know, some arts, and even dress and clothes and things like that. It kind of signs what they mean and things like that. Okay. In their schools, they have International Day, and whenever they have International Day, we try to introduce another, you know, form of, you know, cultural symbol from Ghana. We have a lot of symbols. They come, you know, in the form of clothes, designs and clothes, shoes. Yeah, so we always introduce some of these to make sure they are aware. I'm even planning to let them learn some of the Ghanaian dance. Oh, nice. Yeah, because some of these tell a lot of history, and it's very important that they live to know some of this history. Okay, okay. Um, do you uh, have you noticed that that um, that some students uh, when they come uh, when they come here to study, um, they'll try to find their countrymates and other people, you know, in their region in order to. Um, to relive some of those uh, cultural moments like festivals and um, important days and things like that? Yes, um, it happens a lot. You find students, you know, like trying to identify, you know, other people from their background. It helps with them settling in. 
it makes them feel at home. It, 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 it makes them network more effectively. Yeah, and as you would know, we probably first met at the Ghana 60 Independence Celebration. Exactly. And that's an example. So, yes, it's very important. It, you know, now Independence Celebrations themselves have become like, you know, like a cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. It's a time when we reflect and remember, you know, our colonial predecessors, where, you know, they have come from and what they did, you know, like for us to be where we are now. So we can also add to the against. So, yes, it's very important to do that. And we have, you know, some very patriotic people who try to organize Ghanaians in that sense, you know, so that these cultural heritages could be preserved. But having said that, you know, to go a bit beyond, I have to say that at least with Ghanaians especially, you find a situation where people from you know, factions like smaller factions and just for the sake of, you know, like social life and feeling at home. But beyond that, when it comes to, you know, the public scene, Ghanaians some way, somehow like to get on with foreigners like non-Ghanaians. I'm not sure how that is the case with non-Ghanaians, but amongst Ghanaians, this is a very common experience. Because Ghanaians believe that oh, where there are too many Ghanaians, then too many eyes are watching. What do you uh, whether, uh, What do you mean by that? For instance, people you know like to have their privacy, and they don't want to worry about. It. They go here, and you know people see what you're doing, uh, people see the activities, and it becomes a public, you know, knowledge and that kind of thing. Ghanaians have a sense of I like to be to have my privacy, I don't want to get any issues with anybody and you know, there is that sense of oh, people talk too much mm. you know, they see you and they, 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 they repeat somewhere that we saw this person here, we saw this person doing this this person was with these people and sometimes people try to withdraw from that because one thing is within a community of people from the same background Sometimes there is a tendency to, you know, not make excuses for others. Mm. For instance, if you interact with a non-Ghanaian and they offend you, you might make excuse for them that perhaps their culture permits them to do that and so they did not mean any harm. Okay. But when you're dealing with a Ghanaian, there is less tendency to make such excuses for them. Because you assume they are from your background, they understand the principles, and therefore they were just being disrespectful. And so, therefore. So they should know the rules, basically. They should know the rules, exactly. Mm-hmm. And because of that, sometimes there is a tendency to bring more friction, you know, and more tension when, you know, you find Ghanaians, too many Ghanaians together. And to avoid that, sometimes you find Ghanaians, you know, sort of ending up with non-Ghanians in their social activities and especially, you know, outside closed network aspects like the independence celebration where we met. So when it comes to their everyday life, they want to get on with non-Ghanians sometimes. Okay, okay. All right, so um, so what would your advice be for for families that are that are thinking about going abroad, but you know they're still a bit hesitant because you know, like you said, there's a lot more factors to consider. 
um, what would your advice be for them? Like, for instance, what are what are some things that you think your children um, are getting out of this international experience? Well, um, the first thing I'll say is that there is a lot. There's a lot to take from here, especially China. There's a lot to learn. You know, coming back to the cultural experience that you mentioned, Chinese have a very, you know, hard work ethics. You know, like the uh, work ethics are really great. You know, they spend a lot of time working. Even as students, they spend more time studying and, you know, compared to anywhere else I've been. So my kids are learning a lot from that. You know, they have a very structured life where they try to balance, you know, education and extracurricular activities. And you see this not with one family or two families, but it's like a culture, like it's what they are, a lot of them do. And so when you're here, you learn some of these that are well. So my children, for instance, do football, they do dance, they do music outside school. So they get a lot from this, you know, structured life. I wouldn't want to call it a routine because a routine is a bit to the other extreme, which I wouldn't encourage with my kids because it, it, it's, it lacks flexibility. Mm-hmm. But on this occasion, it's more flexible. They, they can choose what they want to do. Everybody does it. So it drives them on to learn some, something, some extracurricular activities outside school. Again, at least they tend they get to learn a lot about respect for authority, you know, respect for adults, respect for authority. And so as much as I like to encourage them to be able to express themselves and their opinions, it's very important that they would always remember to be respectful to authority and to older people. Not to say they, they are not allowed to express themselves, of course not. And also to be hospitable and polite is some things that like some things that, you know, they get from China and from China, the language, China, you know, the population of China is really large. So China is going places in terms of globalization. So for them to get a Chinese language is fantastic for me. They are doing great now. They, they can speak quite some Chinese, which I'm happy about. On the other hand, there, you know, there are always some disadvantages. You know, there are always some disadvantage because I talked about respect for authority, but in China, sometimes it gets to, you know, the other extreme where there's less room for opinion, there's less room for dialogue. It's like, you know, the senior is always right. And mm. this is not a culture that I want them to get. As much as I want them to be respectful, I want them to be, you know, able to express themselves and to put their views across politely mm-hmm. and things like that. So it, not to say that there are no, you know, disadvantages. And also in China, there seems to be a bit of lack of privacy. For example, you go to the hospital and everybody crowds over you when the doctor is attending to you. And oh, they, they, yeah. they're trying to read your, you know, like your documents and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Chinese have a saying that if you have nothing to hide, you know, why the privacy, you know, oh, but yeah. in the rest of the world, the, 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 it, when one needs some privacy, it doesn't mean that they have something to hide. You know, privacy is privacy. Mm-hmm. So some of these might not settle well with people who are not used to them. But as a matter of fact, I believe that wherever you go, there will be some pluses and minuses. And 
So I would advise people who are planning to come to China to always learn to focus on the positives. Because wherever you go, there will be negatives. But so long as the positives, you know, overwhelm the negatives, is worth considering. And I think so far we've had a fantastic time. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for sitting down with us, Doctor, and, um, you know, sharing your experiences uh, being here in China. So um, what does the what does the future hold for you? Like, where do you hope um, where do you hope this experience will take you? Well, um, currently, um, in terms of the future, I'm focusing more on my career development, my family's, my wife's, and also with my kids, I'm focusing on the education. So it depends on when the you know the need arises for us to actually respond to one of these aspects. But so far, we are doing fine, and you know until the need really arises, we will see how it goes. All right, all right. Well, thank you again, Doctor. We really appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully, we'll be able to talk to you again. Thank you, Mr. Bisil. All it right. was nice talking to you. Thank you, thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you.